So I have, I, I do, uh, I won't make you raise your hands, but um, you can nod and no one will notice. Do you have a prayer journal? I have, I have a prayer journal. I've had one for about two years, almost three now. And I started, I started journaling my prayers because I finally found one small enough to accommodate my weak prayer life. And so what it is, is it's a little like, it's designed to be a diary or something. It's a five-year diary. And the idea is each day you just write a little bit. And then, you know, next day and so forth. And then when you get to the end, you start over again one, one, um, uh, row down. And so I've been, I've been, um, it's almost exactly half full. I've been using it now for about two and a half years. And, um, uh, in it, uh, what I what I found as I was flipping through it is I do pray for myself a fair bit. A lot of my prayers are uh, particular situations that I'm aware of, either in the world or uh, people in the congregation that, that I, I'm praying for. But uh, I often pray for myself, and in particular, what I pray for is that God would change me in a particular way. There's something about me that I'm not satisfied with that I wish God would would change in the way I I am as a person. And I don't know, is that is that something any of you can relate to? Do you have do you have prayers for yourself in that way? Make me a different person. Um I don't know how common it is. Um I think I think we we start out thinking we're okay, but the the more mature we get as Christians, the more we realize how far we fall short of um, our our goal, which is to be like Christ. And so periodically God uh, makes it clear to me ways that I am not like Christ. And so I add those to my prayer journal. And I don't know um, why you might have that desire. You know, you, you know, this is really God's problem. I'm going to be like Christ. He is conforming me to the image of his son. And really, I'll just let God work on his own schedule. And, and th- that's perfectly reasonable. But on the other hand, you may be thinking to yourself, I really don't want to be like this in eternity, right? That that I'm already tired of it and I'm only 61 years old, right? Imagine if it was 61,000 or 61 million, right? I I don't want to be this kind of person um, because I'm not a very good person in this in this particular way. Some of you may be thinking more urgently than eternity. You're thinking, you know, it, you know, the the judge said that if he saw me again, you know, or, or or maybe you're thinking, you know, my spouse said that if I did this again, that was going to be the end. So we may have a more urgent thing that I want to be different. God, can you help me with this particular problem I'm dealing with? So, so we may have we may have some habit that we'd like to break. Um, something, you know, the way we uh, deal with our substances or uh, we express our sexuality. Maybe it's it's just a character trait that. That it's you know we we are you know impulsively dishonest or or we um, we uh, are anxious about things so so there's different reasons why we might uh, want God to change us but the idea is that I would like to be different uh, either either um, in eternity or hopefully sooner than eternity so so that is what we're going to talk about because, because as Paul writes in our letter today, these are prayers that are, that are guaranteed to be answered. That God has, God has told us exactly what needs to be done for these prayers to be answered. Um, Paul doesn't tell us what day it's going to happen on, but he does say this is something God does. So, um, so, um, because, because of my particular, uh, prayer journal and maybe yours too, um, 
they, they say pastors often preach to themselves. So, so if you find anything uncomfortable about this, remember, I have three fingers pointed back at me because, because these are things I'd like to change in myself. So, so in our reading, Paul, Paul, uh, will list two different sets of attributes. Uh, one of them, um, is, is the, the, the actions of a, of an unredeemed person, a, a, uh, a self, uh, centered person. And the other list is the, is the fruit that the Spirit produces in people. So th- those are the two lists that are, that are compared. And the, um, the, 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 what Paul is doing in this letter. So really to, to back up and get a picture of what Paul's doing in this letter. He's, he's writing to people who have become Christians in recent memories. Uh, this letter was written to a group of churches in, that Paul and Barnabas started in Galatia. So Galatia is in the center part of the south and center part of uh, Asia Minor. So if you think of the nation of Turkey, it's kind of directly above Cyprus. So so that's where Paul is is um, uh, focusing because he's heard things coming back from them and he wants to to add to what he's told them before. So help them understand some things. Now what did he tell them before? Well, uh, they became they became Christians because Paul and Barnabas went through that area, saying that you can be put right with God not because of anything you do, but because of what Jesus has already done. This is not a uh, a good advice; it's good news that Jesus has already made it possible for you to be put right with God. And the um, the 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 thing that that will uh, the way that that works is. Is in in the ancient world certainly among Jews and maybe other other uh, uh, cultures as well. There was an idea that sure this world is terrible, but a better world is coming. You know, essentially that's every election promise, right? You know, if you elect me, you know, right now things are terrible, but they will get better. And that was that was a standard Jewish understanding of what was going on in the world. That the world was a mess, but that God had promised to send a Messiah who would fix it, who would make the world better. And what what Paul announced as he went around the the Mediterranean world is he said, "Here's the really surprising thing: it's already happened. God has sent that Messiah. Jesus Christ is that Messiah, and He's already putting the world to right. It's already begun. We don't have to wait any longer. You can have this right now." And so, a lot of people in in the in Galatia and elsewhere uh, said, "I really like that. I want to be part of that thing that that God is doing." So what Paul said is the surprising thing is that these two ages, the, 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 the messed up present evil age, he calls it in this letter, the, the, the present age doesn't just bump up cleanly against the new age and you know, you know, on this day everything changes. He says, no, here's, here's the problem or the, the, the good news or depending on how you see it, the, the challenge is that these ages overlap. Jesus has come. Jesus has already done this stuff. But no, look around. The world is not perfect yet. So there's this overlapping period where the, the present age overlaps this, this new age that God is, is bringing into existence. So they overlap. And the question is, what do you do in the meantime? Everything's going to be wonderful then, sure. But right now, you know, I'm filling up my prayer journal with things that I'd like to be different. Um, different for other people. You know, I have prayers for other people, other situations, but also different for me. I'd like to be different in these ways. So, so what do we do in the meantime? And the way Paul answers this, and maybe it was because there was a lot of 
Jews in that con- those congregations in Galatia, or maybe simply because he had taught them about it. But a, a foundational story in the life of Israel is the story of the Exodus. So it made a very convenient metaphor. So he says, think back to the story of the Exodus. What happened in Exodus? Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and God sends a deliverer, God sends Moses, who leads them to freedom. They're no longer free. But if you know the story of Exodus, they don't immediately go straight from Egypt to the promised land. Instead, there's that period in between. They're in the wilderness. And Paul says this is essentially the wilderness that we're in right now. That that this period of time that we're in, the where things are better and worse at the same or, or no no better and better at the same time, it's kind of like the wilderness in the Exodus. And so that's that's what he taught and it's what he's uh, been teaching in this letter. So so using those metaphors to describe the situation, he says in verse 13, he says, you were called to freedom. You have been liberated from Egypt. You're no longer a slave. You have been called to freedom. Brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. So imagine that you have been a slave for 400 years or your your share of 400 years, right? And you know, the owner is on vacation. You know, your owner, the, the master is on vacation. You know, are you going to diligently be about your work? Or are you going to say, party on? You know, you know, the cat's away, the mice will play, right? And he says, he says, don't think that way. That's slave thinking. Don't think like that. I mean, it's reasonable. It's understandable, right? <laughs> if you were a slave, you, you would totally, it would be, make all kinds of sense to do that. But he says, you're not a slave. You have been called to freedom. Don't use this opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses. Start acting like a free person. That's what Paul is encouraging them to do. He says, um, says, uh, don't, don't, um, indulge your selfish impulses. And what, what, uh, the, the whole reason for the letter is Paul has been answering people's questions or really challenges because there's been some rival teachers who've come in and said, exactly. You are like a slave who, who's been freed. You're like one of those Israelites. You've come out of slavery, but now you need a law. You need to be guided by the law. You need to be under the law. And if you think back to the story of the Exodus, that's what happens. God leads them through the, through the Red Sea and takes them to Mount Sinai where God gives them the law. So, uh, that's the, the image people say, yes, in order to, to, to behave well, you need a law. And Paul says, no, you are Freed. When I said freed, I mean freed. So he says, um, uh, you need to understand the law. He says, all the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbors yourself. So he says, first of all, you need to understand the law is done. You know, Jesus fulfilled the law. It's over. If the law had a checkbox next to it, Jesus checked it. So he says, first of all, you've got to understand the law was, was something that is in the past because Jesus has has inaugurated the new age. But he says it's also an instrument for the, for the, for the old age. It's something for that age, uh, that has passed by. That now in the new age, you won't have the law. So he says, so the, so the first problem is that the law is, is fulfilled. But the other problem with the law is it leads to judgment. Is you, you start saying, you know, am I fulfilling the law? Or better yet, is Madeline fulfilling the law? <laughs> Is, 
Jim and Joyce, are they fulfilling the law? Right? It's very easy to start looking at other people and say, well, I'm doing better than they are, or actually I'm doing worse than they are. That the nature of the law is it leads to judgment. And so Paul says, be very careful. Um, if you bite and devour each other, be careful you don't get eaten up by each other. He says, if you adopt a law, then you're going back to that place where you're comparing other people's behavior. And that can come back on you too. So he says, don't, don't be that way. So what, what do you do instead? If, if you're not to be guided by the law, how do you do this thing that Paul is telling you to do? And Paul says, think back to the Exodus. Yes, God led them to the mountain to receive the law. How did he lead them there? By his spirit. By the column of, of uh, fire at night and uh, a cloud by day, God led them through the wilderness and led them for 40 days. God uh, uh, provided for them during 40, 40 years, excuse me, 40 years in the wilderness. And he provided for them. He gave them, he gave them manna to eat in the wilderness. So, so God, through his spirit, working on the world, guided Israel. And Paul's saying, that's the part of Exodus you should take. Not the, not getting the law, but the guided by the spirit. So he says, he says, verse 16, I say, be guided by the spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the spirit and the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. So he says, the spirit is what guides you during this time. You, you have moved from, from the present evil age to the age to come. And now what guides you during this in-between time, this, this overlap time, is the spirit. You're, you know, yes, your whole life, the, the, your selfishness has, you know, your, your, your natural tendency to take care of your own needs has been what has, has driven you all during the present evil age. But you have moved out of the present evil age. You as a Christian are brought into the age that Jesus is, is bringing about. You have, you have been brought into it. He says, the, the, the thing that happens there, the way that that age operates is it is spirit led. So he says, you're, you're looking at your past and saying, I should keep doing what I've always done. And he says, no, you're in a new age, new, new, new age, new, new, um, way of living. The spirit is the thing for the new age. The selfish desires are the thing for the age that's passing away. So he says in verse 18, um, if you're being led by the spirit, you aren't under the law. So the, the, the law is a, is this tool for a different era. And that's not law, that's not an issue anymore. And then Paul lists the sorts of things this this long list of um, misbehaviors or bad attitudes. Um, so the actions that are produced are by selfish motives are obvious. And this is not Paul says they include right. This is not you know collect all seven right. This is just an example an exemplary list. Um, some of these may be, may be uh, things that you worry about. Some of them, you, they've never bothered you at all. And there may be other things that are not in this list. So Paul lists all these things. And, um, you know, I read, I read, you know, the, the commentaries and so forth that explained what these different things are. The only one that really jumped out at me was, uh, I liked the one on, um, uh, I liked, <laughs> the, the one on, I'm trying to find it here. So, um, Drug use and casting spells. And I like that because that's pharmakia. And it's the word where we get pharmacy. So, um, for, for what it's worth, um, the reason is because in the, in the ancient world, a lot of what people 
use drugs for was, um, we would say, having spiritual experiences, right? You know, if you if you use enough of this, then you will see amazing things. And the other thing they used them for is poisoning people, right? Just put a little bit of arsenic in his cup, and your problems will soon be over. So, so this idea, of the sorcery, the 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 idea of um, uh, um, uh, casting spells and drug use—that's the reason they're related. But what they all have in common is they're terrible things, right? No one, no one gets up in the morning and says, "I really have to work on my selfishness. I've got to work on my drinking and partying." You know, this is these are things where you say, "Well, you know, we might indulge once in a while, but we don't want to think of them as." As a lifestyle, we don't want to think of them as something we carry into the age to come. So, so Paul says, as I've already warned you, those who do these things won't inherit God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Um, Paul doesn't use that language a lot. He usually talks more about ages, but but here, God's kingdom is the same thing. It's that age to come. If you're going to be a part of the family of the children of God, you inherit the things of God's family. So. That is the age to come. So he then contrasts us with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and says there's no law against these things. So so if you're so concerned about the law, you want to make sure you're not disobeying the law, well, if you, if you follow the Spirit, the Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in you. You won't have to worry about people telling you you, you are or are not obeying the law. So... Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified self with its passions and its desires. So, you are a new person. You know, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. This is, this is the thing that is hard to believe because I know when I wasn't a Christian and I know when I am and I was expecting that big earth shattering kaboom in the middle and I didn't have one. And so I just have to accept by faith that God is Telling me the truth that I am a new person. I have been crucified. My, that part of me was crucified. I left that in Egypt. It's a part of the present evil age. And I am a new creation. I am a new person that God has made me a different person. I crucified that self with its passions and its desires. So, if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. So, so Paul says, if you're crucified with, you know, if that selfish part of you was crucified with Christ, if you really are a new person, then live like it. Follow the Spirit. You are no longer in Egypt. You're in the wilderness. Follow the Spirit. See where the Spirit takes you. So that is, that is what Paul is talking about here. And so the lesson for us is not to, well, not to be complacent and say, but I really liked pharmacia. I really liked uh, drug use and casting spells. Um, you know, presumably you're saying, well, I actually do kind of like it, but, but, um, I can't imagine where I'd be if I did that for a million years, right? Or I can't imagine if, if the judge, if I get hauled before the judge again, it's not going to be pretty. So whatever, whatever reason you're saying, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want this to be a part of my life. Paul says, Paul says, um, they don't have to be. You can leave them in Egypt and be guided by the Spirit. So, so what do we do? Well, what he does not say is try harder. He doesn't say you need to, you need to, you know, white knuckle this. You need to grit down and really be a better Christian. He says no. He says follow the Spirit. Right? Follow the Spirit. That's all he says. Don't, he doesn't give you a list and say, you know, do this or do that. He says follow the Spirit. And 
Um, if it, your first reaction is, yeah, but I've tried that before, right? I, I stayed out of jail my whole life and it was hard because I'm not a good person. Paul says, yes, that's the old you. That's the you that was crucified. It may not be hard. Why don't you find out? It may be easier than you thought because you are guided by the Spirit and the old you is crucified with Christ. That's part of that age that is passing away. So he says, he says, um, be uh, guided by the Spirit and let the Spirit conform you to the image of Christ. So do that. And um, one of the things that you'll notice here is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is not selfish. It's not self-centered. It's relational. That um, what, what are the things he says? Love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Those are all things that have no meaning apart from some other relationship, right? That I can't be gentle with myself. I can't be, I can't be uh, kind to myself. I mean, we say that as kind of psychobabble, but we don't really mean it. I mean, to really be kind, you've got to have somebody who needs kindness. Now, there's a couple of others, joy, peace, I'm sorry, joy and peace and self-control. That's kind of the flip side. If people are going to relate well to you, you need to have those things. Everybody's been around somebody who's a rage monster and, and, uh, they're, they're not much fun. So he says, these are the, these are relational capabilities. These are not the kind of things that you just would like to be a better person because these are things that actually make you work better in, in, um, in, in a relationship. And so he says, these are how God is making you like Christ. So that brings us back to verse 13. He says, serve each other in love. That's what Christ did. Serve each other in love. So, the prayer journal, the prayer journal is, is helpful in saying this is, this is what I'm asking the Spirit to lead me out of. Lead me away from this part of who I was. And so I encourage you to do this because Paul, Paul is saying this is what the Spirit does. That, that it's not even a question of is this God's will? You know, what if God chooses to do this? And he says, the Spirit is taking you to a place where these things aren't. The Spirit is leading you to a place where there is no no uh, uh, group rivalry and hate and fighting and obsessions. That that that's going to happen. These prayers get answered because that's what that's what the Spirit is doing. But for all that, I don't know if we do it. If, if we follow the Spirit. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor in a church, so, you know, I know who I'm um, complaining about. But but I don't know if we really follow the Spirit very well. I think of the way that, you know, the church has been in decline for 60 years in this country. Uh, since the early 60s, the church has been shrinking, and its influence has been shrinking, and society has become uh, much more rough-and-tumble, much more self-centered than... than um, it should be. And I think of the, the time when Paul is writing this letter. When Paul wrote this letter, scholars think that there might have been a couple of thousand Christians in the whole world. And about 200, 250 years later, by about 300, there were several million Christians. And the reason is because people looked at them and said, I don't know about, you know, I've got questions. I don't know about seven days of creation. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not so sure about, but I see you're different. I see that you 
are not like the other people. You're not like you used to be. And I want some of that. The church grew. And not only did it grow, it changed the world. It changed the world for the better. And I think this is our calling as a church, is to follow the Spirit, is to really lean into this promise that we can be better people. We can be who, who, we can be, uh, closer to being conformed to the likeness of Christ. I'm not going to say you can be Jesus, but be a lot more like Jesus if you follow where the Spirit's leading you. And if you do, that will benefit not just yourself, but it will benefit the world. Let's pray. God, the, the nature of who we were in the age that is passing away is selfish. We're worried about ourselves. Even the things where we say, I want to be different, are self-centered. I want to be different because I'm tired of this or because I see it's influencing the people around me in a way I don't want. But when I try in my own power to do, to effect any kind of change, Lord, I find how hard it is. So I pray, Lord, you would, you would trust, you would help me to trust that the Spirit is leading me to a different place. to lean into the guidance of the Spirit, to listen to that voice in my heart, to look for ways that the Spirit is conforming me to the likeness of Christ so that if I don't see it, others at least can see the fruit that is growing, the Spirit is growing in me. Lord, I pray you would help us all do this in such a way that we can influence the world for the better while we wait out the the coming age. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.